You're listening to the Miscarriage Doula Podcast. I'm your host, Arden Cartret. This space is meant to be a tool for you to feel less alone and to learn more about how to get through what you've been through and what you're probably going through. We'll hear diverse stories from women and men in the online space, experts, and people just like you and me who are feeling the effects of miscarriage and loss in real time. This is the Miscarriage Doula Podcast. Um, well, just for context, I'll just let everyone know that uh, my name is Samantha Caesar Johnson, and um, my husband Kenny and I, um, he's 38, and I am 33. I'll be 34 in October. Um, and we never really, well, I will say that kids was never really on my radar in my early 20s. Um, it was always go to school, get the degree you know, get married, get the house. And he's always wanted kids. Everyone around us was having children and I was avoiding it like the plague. <laughs> and then um, I would say last year in 2020, you know, we, we sold our town home and bought a new home. And the idea came up. I'm like, well, there's nothing left that I'm waiting for. We should just try. And he said, okay, whenever you're ready. And so we adopted this attitude where we're not going to actively try. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, um, and in November, we were not trying, we just, you know, happened to do it, and we got pregnant, and um, I, uh, the morning that I found out I was pregnant, I actually, like, woken up from a really, you know, bad dream, and um, that's what led me to take the pregnancy test, and um, when I took the pregnancy test, it was positive, and I was just, I, I was, from the moment I saw the positive, it was very faint, I was very um, filled with a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear. The first words out of my mouth were, I can't do this because, you know, my mom had passed away and I needed her strength. You know, I needed someone, I needed her, her guidance here, you know, and for me without my mom here, because she was a person that's always asked me for a grandchild. She always said, when are you going to give me a grandbaby? Are you pregnant yet? And I would joke and I'm like, leave me alone, you know? And um, now that it was finally happening and she wasn't actually here to experience it, I think that that really hurt the most, you know? And so I hadn't, I didn't tell him right away. Um, I waited a couple hours because it was like five o'clock in the morning when I tested and you know, I had called my best friend and I had told her first and she, um, you know, she calmed me down. And then I told him and immediately he was just so excited and, you know, he calmed my fears and we just kind of made plans. We got excited and we got attached to the idea of becoming parents. And then um, right around six weeks when I should have been six weeks pregnant, um, I started having a little bit of the brown discharge that most pregnant women get. Some women get, you know, the brown spotting, some people get the blood. I had a little bit of the discharge and right away, you know, I called my best friend. Um, she's been pregnant before twice. She has two children and, you know, her husband's a doctor. So I'm like, oh my God, I text her pictures and I said, I'm really sorry for being like <laughs> this, you know, open, but, um, is this normal? And she said, yeah, that's really normal, but I would still call your doctor. So um, I called my doctor and their reaction made me think that something was wrong. Like they actually started panicking. They said, well, did you have sex? And did you work out too hard? And I said, I don't, I don't understand. No. And so um, they said they wanted to bring me in for an early ultrasound. And I said, okay. 
Um, and I was, you know, a bit panicked because prior to this, I had never been pregnant before. I have never, you know, had a need to have any transvaginal ultrasounds or anything like that. My periods were always pretty straightforward. They come when they're, you know, supposed to come. I've never had any really bad pain or anything. Um, so I just didn't know what to expect from the trans abdominal, um, transvaginal ultrasound. Um, so when they brought me in, um, you know, they said, well, you're small enough because I hadn't gained any weight. Um, and they said, we'll try the abdominal and see first, and then we'll let you know if we need to do the transvag. And I said, okay. Um, and they did blood work. And, um, when they scanned me, everything was fine. The baby, um, we did not hear the heartbeat but um, it was a flicker and they said the sack looks good. Everything was normal. There didn't seem to be like a bleed or anything like that. They said, maybe it's just old blood leaving your system. And I said, okay. Um, but you know, because of COVID, you know, he could not go with me. And so he couldn't even, I didn't want him to wait in the car. It was cold. So I said, you can just stay home and I will go by myself. And I was, I was really emotional, really worked up because it was the first ultrasound and I wanted him there. He should be there, you know? So I got little pictures and, you know, he was excited to know that there was a heartbeat and we put it on the fridge and I told him, well, there's a place that's close by to us that we could pay for an ultrasound. Um, when I'm eight weeks pregnant and you can go with me, they're allowing the spouse. And he said, that's, that sounds like a plan. So at eight weeks, that was around December 18th. Now um, I went in, I paid for a private ultrasound and he went with me and we had my best friend on FaceTime um, because she wanted to be there, but she lives in uh, uh, Virginia beach and um, you know, COVID can't travel. So um, he had her on the phone looking at big ultrasound on the screen and you know I was laying there and as soon as the woman put um the Doppler on my belly I mean it was just it was loud <laughs> the heartbeat was just blaring and I mean from six weeks to eight weeks you wouldn't expect the baby to get so big you know and it was just we saw it it was it was crazy you know and he all I could kept hearing him say was wow that's crazy that's crazy and you know, my um, best friend started crying and it was really emotional and <laughs> we were just, we were really, really excited, you know, and that kind of put all my fears, you know, aside that everything, you know, was going well. Um, and so we decided that, you know, we would tell our families on Christmas. Um, his parents had already known um, prior to that, simply because his dad had cancer and was going in for treatment. So we wanted to share with him before he went in, because we wouldn't see him on Christmas. So um, we shared with his parents that we were pregnant and they were so excited. And um, we shared with a couple of our close friends before we announced to our family. Um, and then I would say the week of Christmas, that's when I noticed things started to change with me. Um, you know, not necessarily like um, cramping or anything like that. I noticed that my symptoms were coming and going. I had um, pretty steady nausea. I never, I only vomited once. Um, so, you know, that wasn't like a sign that something was wrong, but I noticed that my breasts, they were no longer tender like they used to be. I mean, every day they were pretty, pretty tender. They hurt, you know, cause I, I'm pretty active and I work out every day. So sometimes it was difficult for me to work out because of how tender my breasts were. Um, the nausea first thing in the morning, like I had to eat something before I would do anything. And that was slowly changing. And for me, I, 
I'm one of those pessimistic people that will go to Dr. Google and try and diagnose myself. Um, and, you know, I saw for the most part that symptoms come and go in the first trimester and that it's nothing to be worried about. But I also saw something that said a missed miscarriage. And I said, well, what is this? And, you know, signs and symptoms of a missed miscarriage could be, you know, that you your symptoms go away completely or they're not as intense as they were before. So immediately I, I had a feeling that something was wrong and I didn't tell him right away. I would do like little experiments on myself. I would wear like a bra that was a little bit too tight, you know, just to see if I would experience the more breast tenderness at the beginning of the day. It was, it was weird shit. I don't know, but <laughs> I, um, I, Eventually, I said, you know, I think something's wrong. And I voiced this opinion to you know, my best friend. And I told my other best friend as well um, that, you know, I feel like something's wrong. I just have a feeling. And I think when you when you know, like you're a woman, you know, you know, you know your body and I know my body. And for me, it just felt like these symptoms, they were consistent for the last how many so weeks. And now all of a sudden they're like coming and going. It just didn't feel right. And so um, I tried to remain hopeful and the doctor, you know, once I had my six week ultrasound and they had already seen that everything was going well and progressing, they told me, well, you don't have to come back until January 15th, you know, right around the time when you should be like three months. That's when we'll do like the 12 week scan and we'll look. And so for me, I, like between six weeks and that time, you know, between December 4th, when I had my first scan and January 15th, that's a long time for me, you know, and I needed, personally, I needed that confirmation that everything was okay. So I told him, I said, you know, I'm fine with announcing to everyone, but I do want to pay for another private scan for us to see and make sure everything is okay. I want to just make sure that, you know, I'm not imagining things. And he said, we'll do whatever you want to do, you know? And um, we told everyone on Christmas um, and it was, I mean, cause I'm the last person in my family to have children. Like my sisters are, they're older than I am and they all have children. My nieces and nephews, they have children, you know? So it was, it was a pretty big deal that I was finally having a baby, you know, and he's the oldest in his family. So it was a big deal that he was having a baby as well. And so everyone was really, really excited. Um, and that was on December 25th. Um, so on Monday, December 28th, you know, we went in for a private scan and I asked him, I said, um, you know, last time we didn't get a recording of the heartbeat. Would you mind like recording it on your phone just so that we can get it? And he said, yeah, let's do that. So I laid on the table and, you know, he had the recording going and, um, you know, the tech put the Doppler on my belly and it wasn't like the last time, you know, like the last time we saw the baby immediately, we heard the heartbeat and this time it's like she was trying to find something like she just kept pressing harder and harder, you know, and I, I didn't think anything at first. I just looked at the screen and I said, oh my God, look at how much bigger it is, you know, like. I don't, I don't know what he did with the recording, but I haven't looked at it, um, you know, and he was laughing. And then um, I kept looking at the text face and I said, what's wrong? You know, and she was just breathing in and out. She didn't say anything. And I said, again, what's wrong? Is something wrong? And um, she said, there's no heartbeat. And I said, what? And, um, you know, immediately he, you know, put the phone down and he just, he stood up. And 
he came to my side and um, she said, I'm trying and I'm putting the color on it. And she said, I don't, I don't see a heartbeat. I don't hear a heartbeat. And, um, you know, immediately I started, I started like having like a panic attack and I took my mask off because I was hyperventilating. And um, I said, can you, can you go inside? Can you do the transvatch to confirm? And she said, absolutely. So I took off my clothes and um, I let her do the transvaginal ultrasound, but it was the same. It, um, there was no heartbeat. So, you know, at this point he had um, broken down and he was crying and my mind, it, I just, I can't tell you exactly like what I felt. I can't, it was more of a, it was a shock. It was disbelief. It was, I don't know if it was a slight bit of relief knowing that, okay, I knew something was wrong and yes, I was right. I'm not crazy, but also, oh my God, my baby's gone, you know? Um, and then it was immediately like, what do I do now? How do we, how do we get her out of me? Um, and what, what's the next steps, you know? And, um, she told me that I would have to call my doctor and I would need to get an official ultrasound through my doctor's office so that they could double check and make sure that everything was, you know, what she was seeing. So, um, you know, I put my clothes on and I called the doctor's office and they told me to come in right away. And I got there and, you know, um, unfortunately the doctor's office that I go to, they do not have an ultrasound facility in office. So she drew my blood and she said, we're going to check your levels, but you have to go to this ultrasound place to see if um, they actually see a heartbeat. And again, you know, he could not go with me. He had to wait in the car. Um, and um, when I got to that ultrasound place, it was the same thing. They saw everything that the other ultrasound, the private ultrasound saw. They basically saw that the baby was measuring around nine weeks. Um, it should have been about 10 and a half um, going on 11 and, um, there was no heartbeat, no fetal activity, no, fetal, no cardiac, um, activity. Um, and so they, they don't give me next steps. They told me that I have to go back to my doctor's office. Um, so I, from there went back to my OB's office and she told me that the next steps would be, you know, the three options you can either do expected, you know, management where you just wait, um, to see if you'll miscarry on your own. Um, she offered me the pill, which is the Cytotec, or you can schedule the DNC. Um, and she told me she didn't recommend the Cytotec for me because I had never been pregnant before and my cervix had never been opened. Um, and it could be quite traumatic for me to miscarry that way at home. So she recommended that I either wait or like wait for my body to prepare itself naturally or to just go ahead and get the DNC. I decided to do the DNC. She told me that they could put me to sleep. She would be the one doing it and I wouldn't feel anything. Um, I wouldn't remember anything. And I said, okay. Um, but because I had to go through surgery with the COVID laws in place, I first had to get COVID tested. I also had to get cleared for surgery by my doctor. So pre-COVID, you know, you could just get the surgery the very next day. And if she had availability, you could get it the same day. But there was a three-day waiting period for me to get tested, and then I would have to get scheduled after my results came back. You know, so I went to my other doctor's office, my primary care, and they did the x-rays, they did everything to make sure that I was in top shape to withstand surgery, and I got cleared. 
I then went and got COVID tested and went home to wait um, for the results. Um, in between that time, I mean, the grief, I mean, I, I had felt sick simply because I felt like my body was just shutting down because of the news of having a miscarriage and losing my baby, you know? And um, I had had what I thought was a sinus infection, but I got the results to my phone and they said that um, I had tested positive for COVID on top of everything else. And so instead of my surgery being the first week of January, it was now pushed to the end of January. So I had to basically carry around my baby dead inside of me for a month from December 28th to the end of January, you know, and um, on top of that, you know, he had tested negative. So we had to separate because if I'm positive, I don't want to get him sick because while I didn't have any symptoms of nausea or, you know, vomiting or any of the COVID normal symptoms, I lost my sense of smell and taste, but um, I didn't have any serious symptoms. Um, I didn't know how he would have, you know, what he would have. So we made a decision to uh, separate. And, you know, my doctor said, unfortunately, because, you know, a DNC is considered an elective procedure, they won't be able to um, bring me in. I have to wait until I'm cleared by the Department of Health. And she said she still does not want to prescribe me the Cytotec because if I start hemorrhaging at home, I would still have to go to the emergency room and I would be at risk of exposing other people. So I basically had no choice but to wait, you know. And it's... Um, it's one thing to be told that, you know, you're losing your child, but it's also another thing to be told you're losing your child, you have COVID and you can't even grieve with your husband, you know. Um, we came home and we had ultrasounds over every, we had it on the fridge, we had them on his desk, on my desk, you know, and we had to literally pack up this hope for the future and put it in a box and put it in a baby's room that we just don't even look at anymore, you know, we just shut it off. And, and it's, it, it's, it's heartbreaking to go through that, you know, and we had friends, friends that we told and the family that we told, we now had to untell, you know, and they were completely understanding. They were there, they were comforting, um, you know, but they couldn't do anything for us because I had COVID and they can't come over, <laughs> you know, they can drop things off on the front door, but I had to go through this alone. And um, in between the time that when my DNC was supposed to occur, um, three days prior, I had started, I had started actively spotting and then having the cramps of like an active miscarriage. So I was supposed to have my DNC on January 19th. And that Saturday, the 16th, I woke up around 2 a.m. And um, he, at this point, we had now started sleeping together again in the same room and everything. Um, so he woke up with me and he said, are you okay? And I said, I don't, I don't think so. I said, I've never experienced this before. I don't know what I'm feeling. Um, I, it felt like gas at first, but I didn't know exactly. No one told me what to expect. You know, they said, I asked my doctor if it happened at home, what to expect. She said, oh, it'll just be like a really heavy period. She said, you'll start bleeding. If you soak a pad more than one an hour, you need to go to the ER. And she said, it'll be really bad cramps. And I said, well, I've never had 
really painful periods or bad cramps. I'm one of those lucky ones that just bleed and that's it. You know, I don't have any of these painful things. So I had no idea what to expect. Um, and I, it, it felt like I had to take a bowel movement, but it was, it was different, you know, and I got up and I said, well, I'm, it was around 2 a.m. And I said, well, I don't want to keep you awake. And so he walked with me to the, to the living room where I tried to sit and get comfortable. And I had a lot of pillows and the pain started increasing. And I, it, I was, I was actively bleeding, you know, and I was sleeping with a pad and everything. And I had told him, you know, um, this is really painful. Give me some Tylenol, you know, or something. And I remember him saying, like, it's just pain, you know, like it's just pain. And in that moment, I, I felt so much anger because I'm like, you don't know what this feels like, you know, like you can't just say it's just pain, but I get it. Like it was two o'clock in the morning. He was probably drunk on sleep, you know? Um, but, um, he said, do you want me to sit with you? And I said, no, just go ahead and get some sleep. And so I stayed in the living room by myself and, I'll never forget it. I had, um, I turned on HBO and I started timing the contractions because that's exactly what they were. I, um, they started off really small and then it was like these intense rolling pain, like through my back, it would come around to my abdomen, down to my uterus, my whole legs, everything. And I, all the while I'm just bleeding, bleeding, you know, and they would come every three to four minutes. Um, and then they started coming every two to three minutes. Um, I had the blind, I was watching the movie, The Blind Side and the whole movie, I had contractions. That was two hours. And then it gave me a little break. And then the movie Jaws came on right after. And um, I started having contractions throughout that movie too. Um, the contractions ended around six o'clock. And I remember I was literally on the floor writhing in pain. I would bury my face into a pillow to scream so that I wouldn't wake him um, because it was, it was so painful. But there were, and I would run to the bathroom and I would look and it was nothing, but it was blood. It's just blood, you know. Um, eventually it turned to clotting and I, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what am I looking for here, you know the things that, and I'm sorry for those who are listening, that's going to, it's going to be graphic, you know, um, the clots that I was passing, they were probably the size of like medium or small strawberries, you know, and I'm like, well, is this, are these pieces of the baby? I, I have no idea, you know, and it looked, the texture was like liver, it like raw meat or raw liver. It was just, and I was so traumatized because I, I can stand looking at blood, but not my own blood, you know? And so there were periods of time where I would have to lean against the wall because I was almost going to pass out all the while. He's not there. He was upstairs sleeping. He had no idea this was happening, you know? And, um, around seven or eight, he came downstairs and he said, um, are you okay? Like what's going on? And I said, I think I need to go to the emergency room. Um, I've been bleeding a lot. Um, my doctor told me I have to go to the emergency room if, you know, I started actively bleeding and passing tissue. And I think I've been passing tissue. And so he was like, all right, let's go. So we went to the emergency room and he couldn't come in. So, um, you know, I sat there um, for six hours before I was seen because, and I, I, I told them that I was actively having a miscarriage and, um, I sat there in the waiting room in pain, having contractions. And when they finally brought me back, 
you know, they tried to do the transvaginal ultrasound and it just, I was in so much pain. Like it just couldn't, it wouldn't happen, you know? And I said, you, you guys can't go in. Like it's, it's not going to happen. And um, they did the abdominal one and they said, well, the baby's still there. And I'm like, are you, are you fucking kidding me? You know? And, you know, the doctor explained that, you know, when a person who has never had a child before, it takes, a t- it takes a while for your cervix to dilate. And my cervix was actively dilating. It had not dilated yet. Um, it was still closed and it was trying to open. Um, and the baby was getting lower, but it had not passed out. And I was just passing clots. They told me to go home and to just take um, Tylenol and to monitor the bleeding. And I said, okay. Um, Sunday, my doctor called me and told me to come into the office because she wanted to check my cervix. Um, I went in and I was about two centimeters dilated at that point. Um, And she told me that she could give me the pill today and I would pass the baby. And I said, I mentally, I can't do that. You know, I'm not prepared for that. I was already in so much pain going through these contractions and seeing the amount of blood. I said, I rather, if my body is just doing it naturally, I rather it just do what it's doing. Cause I don't, first of all, I don't want to put myself through more pain and still need a DNC, you know, cause that was a possibility. You could take the Cytotec and pass some of the baby, but not all of it. And so I decided to just wait until Tuesday to have my surgery. If it didn't happen naturally, you know, and um, in between those two days, you know, waiting, it was still, it, I had I never stopped contracting. It would give me a break like at night when I wanted to sleep a little bit, but the contractions got so bad at one point, you know, he, he would literally come behind me and, you know, put pressure on my back while I was screaming. And, you know, he would have to hold me down. Um, He would have to beg me to breathe. You know, it was one point where I was like, I just, (laughs) what is all this for? You know, like I'm sitting here and I'm actively in labor. I've never experienced this before. At the end of it, I'm not getting a baby in my arms. I'm just, I'm bleeding out, and I'm not, I'm not getting that baby that I got attached to, you know, and it it sucks, and, you know, I, I know we're both traumatized from it, you know, he, for a while, I couldn't, I couldn't look at the spot in the living room where it all happened because I would have flashbacks to me screaming. You know, he tells me sometimes, you know, he can hear me screaming. He can see my face, you know, him begging me to breathe because when you're in so much pain, you forget to breathe. The last thing you want to do is breathe. You know, you just want to curl into a ball. And that's what I did. I was in the fetal position trying to just ride out the pain. And when the pain would go, I would just pass out and he would bring me juice and try to wake me back up. And then, you know, it would start up again. And then, um, so Tuesday came and um, we went in for the procedure and that in itself was fine. The procedure was went through with no hiccups. Everything was okay. But 
I, I personally didn't know if I was going to come out alive because you go through all this horrible things. You, you get COVID, you, have, you lose a baby, and then you automatically think the worst. So I had, <laughs> I had already planned that I was going to die. And so I'm like, I'm going to write you this letter that tells you what I want. And he's like, oh, my God, you know, and, but this is where my mindset was, you know, like I was my mindset was that of a person that's losing everything. So I thought that, you know, the worst possible case scenario was going to happen that I too would pass away. And so I wanted to make sure that he knew where everything was to handle my affairs. And um, luckily I'm here. (laughs) So, um, you know, we, we decided that we would try again as soon as the doctor cleared me for surgery, cleared me from surgery, you know, and of course there's that three week window where you can't have sex and you have to just wait. Um, and then, um, she said, once your cycle comes back, you should be able to try. I don't see any reason why you shouldn't be able to try again. Um, so my primary care doctor had drawn my levels for me. Um, but she didn't test my hormones. She just drew like my regular blood levels and my LH and FSH just to see um, where they were, but not the progesterone and estrogen. So I had no idea what those levels were. She did advise me that, you know, maybe it's best if I wait three months to try again, um, just in case, you know, your body isn't fully recovered. And I looked at her like, I'm not waiting three months. Like you don't, you don't tell that to a person that's just had a miscarriage. Like the only thing I wanted to do was make another baby, you know? And then the feelings of guilt of, you know, feeling like a failure, all of that came to me. You know, I had um, in the initial throes of it, I had family members ask me, were you not taking enough folic acid? And it, immediately I felt like I was the one to blame. You know, they said, were you not taking enough folic acid? Were your prenatals not very good? Maybe you were working out too much. And I'm like, are you guys really blaming me? Like, I I did everything my doctor told me that I could do. You know, working out was never an issue. She was never concerned about that because I've always done it before I was pregnant. She said, anything new that you want to start, you should check with me first. If you've been doing it before, you're fine to continue. And so I continued my life as was, you know, with modifications, of course. And so just this feeling of, am I responsible for this miscarriage? Am I the reason the baby's heart stopped beating? You know, I had my seat warmer on one time. It's, did that cause it? Like all these questions, you know, floated through my mind. And I felt like the only way to get out of this mood is to have another baby, you know? So my cycle started again in February and um, we tracked ovulation and, you know, my hormones were all over the place because I tested positive for ovulation two weeks in a row. So we, you know, we planned it to be one week and then we did it again the whole next week. So we literally 14 days straight, we were exhausted, you know, (laughs) but um, we wanted to make sure that we caught the window of possible ovulation, you know, to make sure. And um, that was in March. Um, And so March 31st, you know, we took a pregnancy test and I tested positive again. And I mean, this time my reaction was completely different. I mean, you, you know, like when you, when you get pregnant after a loss, you're, you're excited, but that excitement is, you know, tainted with a little bit of caution. 
and you are like, okay, now we're going to do things a little bit differently here. You know, we're going to make sure we get our blood levels checked. And so immediately I knew that um, I wanted to go to the doctor and get my levels checked a little bit earlier. But, you know, they told me six weeks is when, you know, you should come in. And I said, okay. So that was, um, yeah, the first week of first week of April, which was Easter weekend. And that Sunday I had started the spotting, the brown discharge. And I said to myself, well, I had this before, so I'm not going to panic. I'm just going to, um, take it one day at a time. And, um, you know, we had had a gathering at my sister's house for Easter and, um, I informed two of them that I was pregnant and I told them what I was experiencing and what I was feeling. Um, and they told me to just be positive and not, you know, worry about, you know, the what ifs that, you know, if it's meant to be, it'll be. Um, and um, the spotting got darker. And so I knew that that was a bad sign because before it was just light brown and then it got darker, like dark brown. So I called the doctor again and I said, um, I need to come in for an appointment. I don't, I should be around four weeks pregnant, maybe six weeks. I don't know because I ovulated later than I thought based on, you know, the ovulation kits. I wasn't sure. Um, so, you know, she brought me in and I told her, well, I'm not really having any symptoms. I feel a little bit of discomfort on my left side and um, I just am spotting a lot, a lot of brown discharge. And she didn't check me. She said, well, I want you to go to the ER because we need to rule out ectopic pregnancy. And I said, what? And I, I'd never been told that an ectopic pregnancy was possible for me. Um, I never had one before, you know, so I didn't understand why she was saying that it's possible that this could be one. Um, but she just wanted me to go to the ER to get checked because I would be able to get the ultrasound results immediately and I would get the blood level results immediately as opposed to having to wait. So I went to the ER again and I sat there for hours and um, they checked my blood levels. My HCG was only, you know, 386, which was low for what it should have been. Um, so I already knew that if they did an ultrasound, they wouldn't see anything, you know, and I already knew going into it. I only tested positive a week before, so I knew that they probably wouldn't see a sac and they probably wouldn't see, you know, a fetus or anything. Um, and I was correct when they did the ultrasound, there was nothing there. Um, so they told me that, you know, they can't rule out an ectopic pregnancy, but clearly I'm pregnant because my levels indicate so, but they're just low. So they want to monitor me every day, you know, for the next couple of days to see if my levels are rising. Um, and I said, okay. Um, she brought me back that Friday and, you know, I was hysterical. I was just, I had like an emotional breakdown because again, in my heart, I, and I begged her, I said, can you please just check my progesterone levels? Because I read that if, you know, your progesterone levels are low, it could possibly result in a miscarriage, you know, and that's probably why I'm spotting. And she said, well, we don't do, we don't check progesterone levels once you're pregnant. And we don't put, well, put you on progesterone. And I said, I knew that was a lie because I knew that friends who have had IVF, um, they, they, were on, they were on progesterone. So for me, I, when I went back to her office, you know, I was hysterical and crying. And I said, I don't want to lose this baby. Like this is, 
we worked really hard for this one after experiencing such an immense loss with the first one, you know, and um, she tried to calm me down and she said, let's just check your levels. And, you know, if it's progressing, then we'll go ahead and we'll put you on progesterone. And if it's not, then we need to you know, look at other options. And I said, okay. So she drew my blood and um, that was that Friday, the ninth. And um, she said she would have the results by that afternoon. Um, they had only increased a little bit, not a lot. And she said, we'll keep monitoring it. And she wanted to bring me back the next week. So that weekend, um, Saturday was, um, my niece is pregnant. So she has, she was having her gender reveal that day. And um, I didn't really want to go, um, to be honest, because being around other pregnant people, being around children, no matter how happy you are for them, it's still grief and loss and jealousy. You know, I didn't, of course, I don't wish anything bad on my family, you know, um, but for me, it was hard. It was hard to see them have a successful pregnancy and me constantly struggling, you know, so um, we we said, we're just going to go because, you know, her, her, she has a, she has a daughter and her daughter is my goddaughter. So I said, I'm going to go for them because, you know, that's my God baby. And I want to support them. And he said, okay. Um, and as we were getting dressed, I, um, I went to bend down. I was uh, getting a penny liner out of the drawer and I felt a gush and um, it was bright red blood, you know, and I just started, I just started crying and I, uh, I went to him and I said, I'm sorry. And, um, cause and I, I had it in my hand, you know, I had whatever it was. And, um, he, you know, he held me and he said, this is not your fault. Um, we'll get through this, you know? And I just I'm like, why is it that my body isn't doing what it was made to do? I am the healthiest person out of everyone. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't, you know, I eat healthy. I work out every day. And I just, I could not understand why this was happening to me, why it was happening to us. You know, like we're good people. We, you know, I, I don't, I ask God, why, what did I do to deserve this? You know, I just, I just didn't understand. And I, all the while I had to go and, you know, get dressed and I'm bleeding out and I'm standing in a field with people celebrating, you know, the gender reveal of my niece's baby. And all the while we're standing there grieving the loss of our own that we're currently going through, you know, and um, it's, it's hard to be happy and put on a face when you're in that situation, you know, but I am, I've gotten so used to it, especially with the, you know, the loss of my mom and having to play pretend, you know, I'm, I'm a great pretender when I am feeling really shitty and I will suck it up, you know, but that day was hard. It was really hard. And we came home and, um, we just, we, we, ate pancakes and sat on the couch and I cried and we slept and you know the next appointment with the doctor she basically dismissed me she said well this is your second miscarriage you don't really have another option except for IVF and I was just totally like 
I was just, I was shocked. I said, how can you tell someone that, you know, like, mind you, she didn't do a recurrent pregnancy loss panel on me. She didn't do any other blood testing other than my HCGs, you know, to let me know that the levels were going down and that I was actively miscarrying, you know, so I made the decision to, um, while I took her advice to get genetic testing, I, I switched doctors completely. So I'm, I'm in the care of new physicians. Um, and, you know, I've since seen them and they've done the recurrent, you know, they've ordered the recurrent pregnancy loss panel for me. Um, we are getting genetic testing. I'll have, you know, the ultrasound next week um, for me to see it, make sure that my uterus and everything is okay. Um, but in the meantime, you know, I'm focusing on just healing and trying to be okay with not being okay, you know, because I think for the last three months or so, I've just been trying to please everyone and trying to make up for the loss and just, you know, I'll have another baby and everyone will love me again. You know, that's how I felt. That's honestly how I felt. And um, I, I just got tired of people asking. I had family members asking, are you pregnant yet? Are you pregnant? You know, if I didn't want to drink at a function, are you pregnant? No, I'm not pregnant. Like nobody talks about how uncomfortable that is for people to ask you, are you pregnant yet? After you experience a loss, let alone two losses, you know, no one talks about how uncomfortable it is to be told, you know, well, you can try again. You're young. I don't know that I can try again. Yeah, I may be young, but I haven't had the testing results yet. I don't know exactly what's going on with me. I don't know what's going on with him chromosomally or, you know, myself. We, we have, well, everything's pending because we want to know, you know, with the first miscarriage with our daughter, um, unfortunately, there wasn't enough of the fetal tissue to test it for pathology. So we don't know if it was due to a chromosome issue or something else, you know, and with this one, there, there wasn't much tissue to speak of, you know, it was just um, blood and lots of little, little clots, you know, heavy, a very heavy period. And, um, you know, it's, it's just really unfortunate that a lot of people think that this is just something that you get over quickly, you know, and, it's, it's not, and nobody, nobody talks about how it affects you, the trauma afterwards, you know, and I found that I didn't give myself enough space to grieve, I didn't give myself enough time to just process it, I went back to work right away, I had the DNC on a Tuesday, the inauguration was the next day, and I went back to work, you know, um, I was off for the inauguration and I went back to work right away. I didn't even take off for the DNC, for the, um, for the miscarriage that I just had recently. I just kept working as if it were nothing, you know, um, my boss knew about them. You know, he was very understanding. He, he was actually one of the first people that I, I called when I was miscarrying, you know, um, because I know that he and his wife had been through something similar and he had, he had told me so, you know, so he was very understanding and he told me to take as much time as I need. But for me, I felt like if I just was a little bit busy, maybe it would make things better, but I think it made things worse for me because I didn't allow myself to process it. 
and um the constant like we had lots of people send flowers and our house was filled with flowers and so many goodie baskets and I think just looking at that was a constant reminder of our loss you know and um it was um for him you know I know his grief is different than mine so we're both processing it differently and I will say that you know I have the best partner because he is he is like my rock and I swear that without him, I don't know what I would do because we, we take the time to talk about our feelings about this every day, you know, like multiple times a day. And we talk about the what ifs, we talk about the next steps. We talk about what it might look like if we are just one of those people who aren't blessed with children. You know, we have a beautiful goddaughter and we have a beautiful godson and we love them so much. And maybe Maybe our lives, if we aren't able to be parents, maybe our lives will be filled by just being active in their lives, you know? But it hurts. It hurts to be around children. It hurts to be around our friends who have children, you know? Um, and I, I'm ash- I was ashamed of that. I was ashamed because I was avoiding them for a long time, for about a month or so. We just didn't want to see anybody. And... Um, we we had a get together for his birthday last month, like a week after the miscarriage. And he said, if you don't want to do this, you don't have to. And I said, no, let's do it. And we had all the kids here. <laughs> so we had like my uh, one and a half year old godson and the my our friend's 10 month old twins and her four year old. And um, it was it didn't hit me how affected I would be until I saw all the children running around my house and. I envisioned, oh my God, this is, this is, this is a lot, (laughs) you know, like, uh, this is what my house would look like if we had children, you know, and um, I remember everyone was in the basement, and I just, I came upstairs, and I felt, I felt the breakdown coming, and I had no place to go, I was in the kitchen, and I just, (laughs) I walked into the pantry, and I closed the door in the dark, and I just sat there, and I started to count, and I started to breathe, because, that's what suffering with the trauma of miscarriage looks like for me. You know, it's taking a moment in a closet by myself while I breathe through it, you know, and um, I came out and a friend was there and she said, are you okay? And I said, yeah, she said, it's okay if you're not okay. And I said, thank you, you know, because they're, they're the ones who were there for us, you know, and having that support and knowing that, you know, we've also had friends to go through this, knowing what we're going through, it helps, you know, um, and I had to take a break from social media because, um, we, we never announced on social media anyway, and I'm, I'm not a big social media person, but, um, there would be people on there making comments about, oh, I'm going to be such and such age and my kids are going to be off while you people are going to be 40 with a five-year-old, you know, and I, I take offense to that because it's really insensitive because you, you don't know exactly what a person is going through that makes them want to have a baby later in life. You don't know if they just couldn't do it because of financial reasons. You don't know if biologically they couldn't do it because of, you know, chromosome issues. So it's, I think people need to be a little bit more aware 
of the things that they say and how they say it because it's hurtful, you know? And I, I never imagined myself going through this journey and being faced with infertility. I don't know if that's our issue yet. You know, I'm hoping that we can try again and we're successful. I'm hoping to get my rainbow baby. I, that's all I can do. I can't, I can't give up hope because if I give up hope, then there is no more possibility of that, you know? So all we can do is just continue to put one step in front of the other and move forward. Cause I don't, I can't, I can't give up hope. I know that, you know, I would be a great mother. I know that. And I know that he would be an amazing father and I want to give him that opportunity. You know, I just think that we were dealt a really awful hand and um, we just have to fight for it. Just like we fought for everything else. You know, we, we got together 15 years ago. We've been together. Yeah. 15 years. We'll be married for eight in June. And um, we've built our lives from scratch and we fought to get where we are. And if we have to fight for this baby, then we will, you know? And I, I came across your podcast and I listened to these stories of these women going through everything that I went through and hearing your story. And I, I just, it just brought me to tears. And I am so grateful that you have this platform for people like me to share because I, I don't know what I would do if I couldn't have an outlet, you know, I'm sorry, I'm blubbering. <laughs> no, you're totally fine. And you know, it's horrible. Um, as this is, I think this platform also gives you the ability to have your story on audio to where it kind of lives somewhere. Um, because also it's a sad and horrible story. It is the story of your fertility journey in one day, no matter where you end up, you know, this story does matter. And so I'm very thankful that you told it. Um, Your, your story has so many parts of loss. It's, it's almost like you experience every avenue of loss, you know, within two miscarriages, which almost seems impossible. And I think I talked about that from my um, personal experience with two miscarriages, I've experienced all three options. And every time I say that to people, they're like trying to do the math in their head. (laughs) And I'm like, that's just how horrible miscarriage is, is that you can experience more than one type of miscarriage at one time, or, you know, you can miscarry naturally and still have to have the DNC. Um, Like, and I don't think anybody ever tells you that. They don't ever tell you that you could choose one of those options and still Mm -hmm. experience multiple of them. Yeah. Um, And you explained you know what miscarriage looks like and and I appreciate that you gave a little trigger warning before but I also think it's really important that we share those details because I personally did not know what to expect to see whenever I miscarried and Mm -hmm. as horrible as it is to be prepared for that I think it would have helped me to um to know what it looked like yeah I mean there's no pretty way to say it Mm -hmm. and I think um, while, you know, the day that we're recording this, it's like two days after Mother's Day. So this Mother's Day was so hard 
it was so hard for so many reasons because you know I should be seven months pregnant right now um and I don't have a mother to celebrate anymore because she's gone you know so I spent a lot of the day crying (laughs) a lot of the day crying a lot of the day screaming um I um you know I, I took I took time for myself and to have grace you know and you know my husband was amazing he he recognized me as a mother he got me flowers you know wrote me a letter I had you know three family members reach out and wish me my happy mother's day with kind words you know my best friends they reached out um but it's uh it's it's weird because we don't know where we fall us who have lost our babies you know we don't know if we are really considered a mom or if we're just a mom trying to be a, a person trying to be a mom like so it was it was a little confusing you know but I I acknowledge my daughter I I don't know what this last baby was maybe I'll call him my son I'll have one of each you know my angel babies um but I I acknowledge her her name was Genesis you know and we love her and she'll she'll be the first you know and um I'll acknowledge him on Father's Day if that's what he wants, you know, we, we talk about it, what, it's up to you, like, what do you want, you know, and I think that's important, and I think all that matters is what you see yourself as, it doesn't matter what other people, you know, see your, see you as, you know. Exactly, exactly, I could not agree more, um, that's exactly how I view it as well, and um, oh, Mother's Day is such a horrible holiday. <laughs> Like <laughs> it's supposed to be such a beautiful holiday, but you know it, it's so painful for so many. Not just because of infertility and loss, but because people lose their moms or don't have relationships with their moms. And it then you just go on social media and you see all these happy pictures of people with the multiple generations of mothers, and it's it's painful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, painful. Uh, you made it through, you know, we are on the other side of Mother's Day, 363 yes. more days. I really hope that next year, your arms are full. That way, as you're sad over missing your mom and missing the babies that you've lost, um, you have an extra person there to comfort you. I hope so too. You know, I am, we're, we're doing things to boost our spirits. You know, I'm, I'm getting acupuncture. I'm in therapy. You know, I'm talking about the trauma. I'm doing everything to get my hormones back in balance so that when we do try again, you know, hopefully we have a better outcome. I, I do believe that this second time, unfortunately, my body just wasn't fully recovered from the DNC and probably my hormones were not where they should have been. And I think that due to the lack of, you know, progesterone that I had, that's probably had a hand in it, but I have a good care team now, you know, and we have a plan and um, I'm confident that we're going to figure it out. I, I am not going to go into this feeling despaired and, you know, I'm, I have to remain hopeful, you know, and like I said, I really hope that whether we try next month or in July or in August, I hope that we have a good positive outcome. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll get our rainbow baby. Uh, if I have to <laughs> fight hell or come hell or high water, I'm getting my rainbow baby. <laughs> you know, and I don't, and, and maybe, 
you know, we've other ta we've talked about adoption options as well. You know, family, what a family looks like does not necessarily have to be biological. You know, um, there are a lot of children out there who need homes. And um, if the biological route is not for us, then, you know, adoption, there may, that may be an option, you know. So we are keeping our options open and we are remaining hopeful, you know, and um, that's pretty much all we can do. <laughs> at this point, you know, and, um, and, and me just trying to tackle my residual grief and anger, because, you know, it, it comes, it's, it's not a, it's not a cycle, it's a cycle, it's not linear, you know, so, um, right. it just kind of goes in different directions, <laughs> so, yeah, well, you're doing great, you've been through a lot, and you're, you're doing great, I know it doesn't always feel like it, yeah, and maybe next time we, <laughs> I don't know, maybe we won't tell everybody, maybe we will. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll play it by ear. Every pregnancy is, is different. With this one, we didn't tell anybody. No one knew, you know. Um, my sisters knew just two of them because I was actively like bleeding out. Um, but other than that, nobody else knew. We just kept that one to ourselves, you know. So, Here's to better days ahead. <laughs> yeah, better days ahead for sure. Well, Sam, thank you so much for sharing your story with thank me. You. And I hope that we can have an update episode or an update to attach to this um, yes. episode whenever it goes live. And we're all rooting for you. Thank you for letting us thank hear you. your story. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it.